Listen. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. This is Jerry Prokopovich with Civil War Talk Radio. David Herbert Donald was one of the greatest Lincoln scholars of the 20th century. From his first book on William Herndon, published in 1948, to his classic one-volume biography simply titled Lincoln in 1995, to We Are Lincoln Men, Abraham Lincoln and His Friends in 2004, David Herbert Donald set a standard of scholarship and literary quality that will not soon be matched. Today's program is dedicated to Abraham Lincoln's great biographer and my friend and teacher, David Herbert Donald. This is Civil War Talk Radio. might be trying to dance. What? Dancing, ma'am. No, no, no. I've seen dancing, and that's not it. The less art kids get, the more it shows. Please visit us at americansforthearts.org. Art. Ask for more. A public service message brought to you by Americans for the Arts and the Ad Council. Listen. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, coming to you this week from the Brewster Building on the campus of East Carolina University in May 2009. It's summer. Summer term has begun here on campus. The students who are enrolled in the summer are back, but it's generally much quieter and calmer and we're going about our business as best we can in this cash-strapped era when state budgets everywhere are being trimmed and state universities are feeling very severely the uh, pinch of limited tax revenues. Uh, But although I'm speaking from East Carolina, not speaking for East Carolina University uh, on my own, uh, no guest will be joining us today. We'll be dedicating this program to the life and works of David Herbert Donald, who died this past Sunday, May 17, 2009, uh, in Boston, Massachusetts. And we'll be talking uh, about Dr. Donald's works as well as about the current state of Lincoln studies in this, the 200th anniversary year of Lincoln's birth. Uh, before going further, we've uh, done the legal disclaimer, a reminder that your Donations to CivilWarTR at AOL.com, that's a PayPal address, are always welcome. Uh, And if you send uh, $20 this way, you can get a copy of Did Lincoln Own Slaves or All for the Regiment, as you prefer, to books on Lincoln or on the army that later became known as the Army of the Cumberland. Uh, Signed, if you wish. I'll be happy to send those out. The... Did Lincoln Own Slaves World Tour has come to an end, uh, except for one 
appearance in the fall. There may be others added, but I've enjoyed over the last six weeks going out to visit a lot of places uh, around the eastern half of the country and as far west as Austin, Texas, and uh, enjoyed visiting with uh, Civil War talk radio listeners at many of those places. One last piece of business. Uh, This is just about the last week you can take advantage of the uh, very generous offer from Civil War Times Magazine, which is offering a uh, subscription price of $18.65 to listeners of this show. If you call before the end of this month, May 2009, uh, call 1-800-435-0715 and mention the promotion code G9EWTR, G9EWTR, and they'll give you a price that's less than 50% uh, from the, the regular subscription price. So a way to stay in touch with Civil War events. Well, long-time listeners of the show will know one of the uh, recurring uh, motifs is my attempt to reference at every possible moment uh, my education at Harvard University. Uh, The fact that I did my graduate study there Today, however, I want to talk about the same subject uh, more seriously because it was there that I had the the privilege of studying with uh, the late David Herbert Donald, who passed away this past week. And it seems like a good time to uh, talk a bit about uh, Professor Donald's career and his work in regard to Abraham Lincoln and, as time permits, talk about other people writing on Lincoln in in the uh, past year or so. Uh, David Donald might be might be most easily introduced if uh, I read a few paragraphs from the obituary that appeared in the Boston Globe, which notes, uh, David Herbert Donald, a two-time winner of the Pulitzer Prize for Biography and a longtime professor of history at Harvard University, died in Boston Sunday. He was 88. Dr. Donald, who was Charles Warren Professor of History Emeritus at Harvard, won his Pulitzers for Charles Sumner and the Coming of the Civil War in 1960 about the Massachusetts abolitionist senator, and Look Homeward, A Life of Thomas Wolfe, 1987, about the Southern novelist. Well, there are some of the bare facts. The the top paragraph highlights uh, it is noteworthy that neither of the two books for which Dr. Donald won the, uh, the Pulitzer Prize were about Lincoln, but it is suggestive of the breadth of his interest that he did not limit himself solely to that. Uh, to continue, the uh, obituary says, the latter book, The Wolf Biography, marked a departure for Dr. Donald, almost all of whose work was on the Civil War, its origins, or Reconstruction. His best-known book, was the biography Lincoln, 1995. The 16th president was also the subject of Dr. Donald's first book, Lincoln's Herndon, 1948. Drawn from his doctoral dissertation, it was a study of Lincoln's law partner and early biographer. Appropriately enough, Dr. Donald lived for many years on Lincoln Road in Lincoln, Massachusetts. His ending up there was coincidence, he said in a 1995 interview on C-SPAN. It's near the good schools my son went to, he said. It was certainly far from his roots in the heart of the old Confederacy. The son of Ira Unger Donald and Sue Ella Belford Donald 
He was born on October 1, 1920, in Goodman, Mississippi. His father was a farmer, his mother a teacher. He attended Holmes Junior College in Goodman and graduated from Millsaps College in Jackson, Mississippi in 1941. He came north to do his graduate work at the University of Illinois, receiving his doctorate in 1946. Dr. Donald taught at Columbia University, Smith College, Princeton University, and Johns Hopkins University before coming to Harvard in 1973. He retired in 1991. He also held visiting professorships at Amherst College, University College of North Wales, and Oxford University, where he held the prestigious Harmsworth Chair of American History during the 1959-1960 academic year. Well, there again, there's the, the outline story of the teaching career of this uh, great scholar. The obituaries are available online. There, You can find them in the Washington Post, Boston Globe, New York Times. Uh, and uh, those of you who have read his books from the dust jackets already know the outline story of uh, David Donald's career. I thought I might share uh, a few personal recollections, however, today that uh, would not quite rise to the level of appearing in one of these obituaries. I myself first met David Donald through my application to Harvard University in uh, 1986 when I had spent enough time practicing law to realize it was not the right thing to keep doing. There were plenty of lawyers who seemed to really enjoy what they were doing, and uh, I was not one of them. So I decided to return to my first uh, and only uh, intellectual passion, which was history, and applied to a number of graduate schools. And I was fortunate enough to get in at Harvard University. I received a letter uh, with the, the formal acceptance paperwork, uh, a personal letter from David Donald that said uh, that uh, I, I recall was was quite short, but uh, signed in his very neat uh, block-printed handwriting and made the suggestion that as I would be coming to do intense uh, professional reading, it would be a good idea to spend the summer beforehand reading something long and uh, uh, deep and more leisurely. Uh, he suggested, for example, uh, uh, Freeman's biography of Lee, the four-volume biography of Robert E. Lee, which I had not read. I took that advice and spent that summer reading it. It was a copy that belonged to my father-in-law and uh, enjoyed it enormously. It was uh, a hint that uh, I had found somebody who, uh, in Dr. Donald who knew what he was talking about in regard to history which was something I very much needed at that time. I knew nothing uh, about history except I was very interested, and I had read it since I was a child. But like most people who read history as a hobby, I, I did not at that time understand anything about how it was produced. Uh, some books that, that you read have lots of footnotes in them. Some of them don't. Why is that? Uh, what, do, what do they mean? Why, why do some authors get away without using them at all? Uh, the idea that there are two different categories of history are not explained to most people, uh, even in high school, even in advanced placement classes. Uh, history is taught simply as a, a set of facts or facts and interpretations, but 
uh, and today perhaps more emphasis is put on documents and where history comes from. But as to who actually produces history, no one tells you. It's a mystery. Uh, who writes this stuff? Well, uh, by choosing to go to graduate school, I, I was going to find out, but I didn't know on the way in. All I knew was that I had gotten a letter from uh, this, this historian named Donald, who I, whose name I recognized. He had written a, or edited a famous, uh, very slim but interesting paperback book called Why the North Won the Civil War, uh, and I had read that uh, years earlier. So I felt I was on the right track. I was going to Harvard. I was going to study history with somebody who knew something about the Civil War, which was the topic I was largely interested in, military history generally, but especially uh, especially that. So spending that summer ahead of time reading uh, the four volumes of Robert E. Lee, uh, it was, now I'm thinking, was it three volumes? Lee's Lieutenants is three volumes. Uh, the biography is four, I believe. The... Uh, uh, the, the depth, uh, the literary quality of Freeman, uh, while he obviously takes a view of, of Lee that most modern historians don't in terms of his uh, outright admiration, uh, it was a great reading experience and, and one that set the tone for what would follow. Meeting Donald, uh, he is was, uh, hard to say, he was a uh, incredible teacher. Like uh, many graduate students, I didn't have the opportunity to take lecture classes from him uh, as the undergraduates did, but studied with him in seminars where he was a, a critic who would write as much on our papers as we had written in the papers. Uh, with uh, often with characteristic green ink would uh, fill the margins and the space between the lines with commentary on what we had written uh, and, and how it could be improved and what uh, what was missing. It was uh, again a great experience and an example in in how to how to teach, how to uh, commit oneself fully to one's students and uh, produce this sort of uh, sort of effort. The seminar that I took with Professor Donald was not about the subject of Abraham Lincoln, uh, which was a, a unfortunate matter of timing. The, the year after uh, I was in his seminar class, uh, that the following year he did teach the seminar, in which Lincoln was the theme. Uh, Michael Vorenberg, uh, whose book on the Thirteenth Amendment emerged from that, uh, was one of the students in there. Uh, Matthew Pinsker, who has written about the soldier's home in Washington, was an undergraduate who took the seminar under special conditions. Uh, the year that I took uh, the Donald seminar, the subject was Reconstruction, which initially to me was something of a disappointment. Uh, I was interested in the Civil War more than the aftermath, but uh, Dr. Donald had written about that too. I, I noted Earlier this week, I was pulling together a collection of, of his books to bring to a class to uh, to show to students. And unlike most authors, where uh, uh, all the Bruce Catton books are in a row in the Civil War section in the office library, uh, with Donald, I pulled the, date, the Lincoln books down and said, oh, but don't forget the Charles Sumner books, 
Oh, and then the uh, military, the Why the North One, and then there's the politics of Reconstruction from the Reconstruction shelf, and then the textbooks, uh, Link, uh, Civil War and Reconstruction, uh, that, that he originally wrote with his, his mentor, James Randall, uh, or The Great Republic, another textbook that he participated in writing, or Liberty and Union, another one. Uh, the books are all over the office, literally, in different places. Uh, again, reflecting the the absence of a, a narrow focus, the, the ability to write more broadly. Well, the Reconstruction Seminar, as I, I said, was initially, uh, I thought, that, that's too bad. That's not what I was hoping to do. I'd rather do something on uh, the war itself. But we worked together and came up with a topic uh, for my uh, seminar paper that dealt with the veterans of the war the Confederate veterans in particular, and specifically the newspaper, the Confederate veteran, uh, that was uh, S.A.M. Cunningham published for uh, many years after the war, and it contained all kinds of accounts of the war itself written by veterans, which I used as a a study of uh, wartime memory, uh, how the veterans chose to remember the war, what subjects they uh, wrote about, what ones they didn't, at Dr. Donald's urging uh, or inspiration, I did a textual analysis of the many years of the Confederate veteran, uh, categorizing the stories and, and being able to say authoritatively that X percent were on one topic and Y percent on a different topic. The sort of thing that is could be routinely done now with a spreadsheet, uh, the database uh, could be made of the different stories, and you could come up with all kinds of uh, correlations between the different kinds of stories. But this predated that uh, that era. This was the uh, late 1980s, and not every student yet had a computer at home. In fact, the in one seminar session, the professor showed us his own primitive uh, physical analog to a computer, he had a set of cards, three by five or four by six cards with holes punched all the right way around the border and uh, a set of knitting needles. And by opening up the holes around the, the border, depending on which category the cards fell in, as you took notes, you could then stick the needles through the deck of cards and shake them. And the ones, if you put your needle through the hole of, say, accounts of uh, first-person accounts of military engagements, all those would fall out, the whole having been, been opened up, the others would stay, and thus you could sort your, your cards by topic. It was a very crude method of doing it, but this was how his mind was working. He was coming up with a, a neo-computer, uh, a physical one, uh, before everybody had a computer. In that vein, uh, Dr. Donald stayed ahead of the technology curve throughout his life and continued to, uh, was one of the first historians I knew to use computers in ways uh, that, that are familiar now. He would have liked to have been on this show, which unfortunately he never was. We'll take a break now and come back and talk more about David Herbert Donald on Civil War Talk Radio.
Talk Radio Variety Channel. David Herbert Donald was one of the great Lincoln historians of the 20th century. He died at the age of 88, May 17, 2009. We'll talk more about the life and work of David Herbert Donald when we return on Civil War Talk Radio. In an instant, my son could make anyone smile. In an instant, he was gone. The driver was looking for other cars. But he didn't watch out for my son. Crossing the street. Imagine, in the time it takes to stop for someone in the crosswalk, you could save a life. Or change yours forever. A message from the Federal Highway Administration. Every day, the chances of becoming a victim of mercury poisoning increase. Mercury poisoning may cause neurological damage that impairs learning, vision, and memory. And mercury itself has become part of our everyday lives, absorbed by certain fish, taken into our bodies, and passed on to our children like a common cold. But you can stop this. Log on to earthshare.org and find out how. A public service message brought to you by Earthshare and the Ad Council. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel, where the world comes to listen and talk. Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. Today, talking with you about the life and work of Dr. David Herbert Donald, who passed away last Sunday at the age of 88, uh, author of Lincoln, the great one-volume biography of Abraham Lincoln, winner of the Pulitzer Prize for his biographies of Thomas Wolfe and Charles Sumner, and uh, at the time of his death, working on a book about John Quincy Adams, uh, always exploring new outreaches of the uh, the 19th century uh, or the South or uh something distinctly uh, connective uh, and American in all of his subjects, even if not uh, uh, literally uh, all focused on the same period or the same place. The uh, obituary I was reading from, quoting from in our our first segment, uh, I wanted to continue to read a little bit from, it ends with a uh, uh, a reference to uh, his southern roots. Uh, he was born in Mississippi uh, and educated there before moving to the University of Illinois for graduate work. Uh, the obituary uh, concludes with this paragraph. He retained his southern accent despite six decades up north. He also retained his native region's celebrated courtliness, his charming manner much facilitated by an invariable twinkle behind his thick eyeglasses. 
These are all uh, accurate observations, I will say. His eyeglasses were thick. His eyes did twinkle, and he was extremely courtly in his uh, manner, invariably polite. Uh, He apparently had a temper. I had heard stories when I was his student at Harvard uh, of of flashes of the, the legendary Donald temper, but I can say that in the uh, in the years, the eight years I was in residence there, uh, and uh, in correspondence and occasional meetings since, I never saw it. Uh, he was unfailingly uh, polite, uh, willing to uh, talk and give time to uh, undergraduates with uh, very, to put it politely, ill-informed questions that they were asking. Uh, he was patient and, and helped them along, and equally so with uh, the bill-informed questions that we as graduate students were asking. He, he uh, shared his time very generously. I recall meeting with him once in his office to discuss some issue uh, about my my own uh, dissertation and how it was coming along, and uh, there was a, a fair amount of criticism and I believe it was the second topic I'd been working initially on a, a, a writing about the Battle of Stones River, for which no no good monograph existed at that time. But as I was doing so, Peter Cousins came out with his book uh, on the Battle of Stones River, a very uh, very good uh, piece of work, and uh, we agreed that it would not be wise to follow the same path. It would be hard to break new ground uh, with a similar book. Uh, shortly afterward, and it was time to to reevaluate and, and see how the research might be turned to something else. Well, it worked out very well and moved to something else. But after leaving this one particular meeting with him, I remember feeling just exceedingly discouraged that uh, this was taking so long, it was so difficult uh, to write, and the prospects for employment afterwards were so limited. This is true in the 1990s, continues to be true today, that uh, people getting their PhDs in history are very, are fortunate if they're able to find jobs, uh, certainly teaching jobs or history-related jobs. It's, it's been a buyer's market for many years. Uh, now that I'm at East Carolina University as a, uh, a member of a department, we're delighted to see the enormously uh, talented people who are applying to work here with us, and we're happy to bring on new ones uh, when we can, uh, people of, of great quality, of, of great uh, uh, great scholarship, great promise, uh, but that's that's the upside for the institution. The downside for the individual is even those with with great talent aren't guaranteed a spot anywhere. And so it was, it was true then, and I, I recall asking him uh, if he still felt as he had in, in the 1970s when he wrote an essay uh, saying that he, he often told students the history student had as good a chance of getting a job as, as did a, an apprentice blacksmith. And he said he wasn't sure, he didn't quite feel that way, but but he took the time to talk to me about it. We had the meeting, I actually left the office, walked down the hall, then turned around came back, knocked on the door a second time and said, am I on a fool's errand? Is this just a, a, a should I not even be doing this? And uh, he said, well, you you left a successful, more or less, career where you were. Uh, this is the only thing you can do. This is what you have to do. 
And uh, he was right. Uh, it is, as I feel, what I have to do. And his advice was uh, uh, has, has never left me that uh, there's not a lot of element of choice in it. This is what I'm going to do. So I continued to work at it. Uh, Donald's teaching, uh, I mentioned in the first segment in seminar, uh, involved intense uh, work over students' papers, writing comments that exceeded the, the paper in their length sometimes, it seemed. Uh, he was also a, a brilliant lecturer uh, using words. Uh, this is thankfully in the pre-PowerPoint era, but he did not uh, use the slide projector much. Uh, his, uh, with his words, he created the, the pictures. He interspersed stories with analysis. He described it once as, as a stream flowing down a mountain. Uh, at times it rushes ahead with a narrative flow. Then it stops and there's a pool reflective, uh, giving the reader or the listener a chance to think about what's been said and what's going on. And then it moves back on down, continuing on its course. Uh, but it can't be a single waterfall and it can't be a big stagnant pond. Uh, and, and that method of organization, both of lectures and, and books, again, has uh, stayed with me to the best of my ability to try to copy uh, uh, what he did. To quote back from the obituary, uh, there's a line that says, throughout his career, Dr. Donald emphasized keeping scholarly writing accessible to the general reader. As he told C-SPAN of Lincoln, I hope that any reasonable, intelligent, and literate American interested in the past of his country could and would read it. Well, every historian hopes that uh, lots of educated, literate people can and will read their books. Uh, but David Donald's books are extraordinarily readable and uh, uh, not, not written simply necessarily, but they are crafted in a literary way. The Lincoln book uh, was his most well-known book, but the Thomas Wolfe biography for which he won uh, the Pulitzer Prize was a book that I read when I was his student that I would not ordinarily have picked up, uh, but af after all, I was a student. I had to read what he's what he's written, and uh, it it is one of the memorable memorable books of my lifetime. Uh, the word pictures, uh, some of them Wolf's that he quotes, some of them his describing uh, the Wolf household, the Wolf's career growing up. Uh, lodged with me uh, it it is a wonderful book and uh, to listeners of this program who are interested ordinarily in the Civil War a 20th century southern writer uh, may seem not not the most appropriate topic uh, but you will not be sorry if you read Look Homeward uh, The Life of Thomas Wolfe it is a truly fascinating book and beautifully written and will absorb you into a different time and place and perhaps get you to read some of Thomas Wolfe's novels that had that effect on me. Uh, uh, not ordinarily a novel reader, but uh, something I'm, I'm happy I did. This past uh, past year, last November, I had the opportunity, while visiting Asheville for a 50 and over soccer tournament, uh, to visit in between games when all my teammates were back in the hotel rubbing Ben Gay on their numerous uh, injuries, and I should have been doing the same. Instead, another teacher and I 
limped over to the Thomas Wolfe House and Museum to see it as long as we were in Asheville. And that, too, was a memorable experience. Uh, it's a very nice, uh, small museum, but uh, the house uh, that was his, his mother's boarding house is there, and it uh, you can sit where he where he sat. It has the same effect as, as historical uh, places do on many of us when you're able to be in the place where some great person uh, did, uh, lived, or some great thing happened. Unfortunately, there's also a high-rise building built literally adjacent to this house. So the views you have are not of the mountains surrounding Asheville, but a, in some cases a blank wall 20 feet away. Uh, but at least the house itself is preserved and, and very much worth your time to visit if you get a chance to go out to Asheville, North Carolina. I said also in the, at the end of the first segment that I had the opportunity to take Dr. Donald's seminar on the Reconstruction era. Uh, Heather Cox Richardson was in that seminar. She's written uh, some very well-known books on the uh, post-Civil War and the Reconstruction era. Uh, it is uh, it, it was a very stimulating thing to do to read one another's papers to have Dr. Donald criticize them. While I was sorry not to have been in the Lincoln Seminar that followed the year after, I did take advantage of the opportunity to write about Confederate veterans uh, tangentially related to Reconstruction. And uh, looking back, I realize now that uh, I had been put on, a, uh, on the cutting edge. Uh, memory studies, which today are all the rage or indeed uh, passe already uh, uh, among the, the academy, uh, were not yet uh, not yet dominant. Uh, today you can read many books about the memory of World War I, the memory of the Civil War. Uh, how people construct their historical memories is, is a fascinating topic. David Blight has been on this show to talk about the uh, constructed memory of the Civil War in his great book, Race and Reunion. But in the 90s, that wasn't all out yet, and there was Donald uh, steering me to writing about the Confederate veterans and their memory of the Civil War. And if I had uh, not gone on to, to work at a museum, but had simply pursued uh, uh, an academic career immediately, that might have turned into uh, a book itself. Uh, now that others have pushed that path uh, further along, I don't know if I'll return to it. But it, it, in retrospect, uh, it shows once again how, how active this scholar was, how close to the cutting edge he was. Today you can buy a set of Abraham Lincoln's uh, uh, collected writings. Uh, well, actually, you don't need to buy them. You can find them online. The University of Michigan has a website uh, dedicated to the, the collected works of Abraham Lincoln as, in, as they were published in Basler's volumes. And the Library of Congress is also working on a, an expanded version of all the papers of Abraham Lincoln. So it's easy to have access to them. You don't need to have the volumes in your own uh, library to look up anything Lincoln ever wrote down. It's right there online. In the 90s, when Lincoln, when David Donald was working on his Lincoln biography, he had a set of the Lincoln papers uh, online, uh, on, on disk rather, his own version, which he used uh, grant funding to have uh, an assistant type in for him. 
so that he was the only person in the country with a searchable Lincoln database when others did not yet uh, have them. He had a uh, setup in his office, uh, in his home, with a Macintosh and a PC, and this, these disks with the Lincoln uh, words on them. He was uh, older than my parents, yet uh, ahead uh, ahead of me uh, on the technology curve by a good bit. Uh, he never slowed down, never stopped using the latest. Uh, uh, technology, the latest interpretations to fuel his work, and uh, in that also set a great example for all of his students, uh, not to simply uh, do things the way they'd always been done, just because that's that's how they'd been done. Now, while I didn't get to study uh, Lincoln in uh, Dr. Donald's seminar, he was responsible for putting uh, me on the Lincoln Trail, which uh, be turned out to be my career path after all. Uh, when he began working on his, when he was working on his Lincoln biography, I was able to get hired on as one of his research assistants. He asked me to write a memorandum uh, on the Lincoln leagues, the Lincoln clubs that were formed for the 1864 election and gave me some sources to look at. And I looked at them and wrote up a memo, sort of the kind of memo I might have written for a senior partner at the law firm I had worked in, uh, where you read some cases and write a memo outlining them and explaining what what's going on. It turned out that wasn't quite what he had in mind uh, in the assignment he'd given me, and he made it clear that I had not done the assignment as, as he had wished, and he gave me a new assignment in, in with the unspoken uh, admonition that, that I hope you do better with this one. Uh, I came home from that, as uh, my wife put it, uh, your tail is between your legs in a way I've never seen before. Uh, I, I was quite taken aback to have, have let him down. The new assignment was a stack of Xerox pages filled with citations to articles about Abraham Lincoln written in the 19th century in magazines like Century, uh, Harper's, and so on, that he wanted copies of. Just go into the bowels of Widener Library on the Harvard campus, find the originals of these articles, and photocopy them, bring them in. Uh, I did that. I, I got the assignment from him on a Friday. I did it that night. I did it all day, Saturday and Sunday, uh, so that by Monday I had found uh, the great majority of them and copied them and was still trying to hunt down or use interlibrary loan to track down the rest. Uh, but I was determined not uh, determined to get out of that doghouse. And at the same time, in the process, I found this fascinating subject, these stories about Lincoln. Uh, while Xeroxing, uh, it was impossible not to read some of these pieces. Some of them were quite short. And it was fascinating how much there was about Lincoln, how, uh, how how many people had these individual reminiscence uh, accounts, these first-person accounts that he was mining uh, for the work. After that, uh, I got other assignments, read the papers of Simon Cameron and take notes on them, for example. And uh, I was able to stay involved with the Lincoln project uh, to its end and ultimately 
after it was published in 1995, uh, my copy with his autograph and uh, a short message is, is one of those possessions that I would uh, take out of the burning house after getting the children and pets out alive. Uh, if I could take one book, uh, it would have to be the signed volume of Lincoln uh, with, with the personal message within. Well, the book came out in 1995, Donald's Lincoln, and it was long awaited. Uh, we'll come back in just a minute and talk about Donald's version of Lincoln, what he said about uh, the 16th president that differs from other historians, and how the book was received. We'll do that when we return on Civil War Talk Radio. Talk Radio Variety Channel, where the world comes to talk. David Herbert Donald won the Lincoln, uh, won the Pulitzer Prize rather, for biography for his works on Charles Sumner and Thomas Wolfe. He didn't win it for his biography of Abraham Lincoln. Who could have possibly trumped Lincoln? We'll find out when we return on Civil War Talk Radio. In an instant, my son could make anyone smile. In an instant, he was gone. The driver was looking for other cars. But he didn't watch out for my son crossing the street. Imagine, in the time it takes to stop for someone in the crosswalk, you could save a life or change yours forever. A message from the Federal Highway Administration. Every day, the chances of becoming a victim of mercury poisoning increase. Mercury poisoning may cause neurological damage that impairs learning, vision, and memory. And mercury itself has become part of our everyday lives, absorbed by certain fish, taken into our bodies, and passed on to our children like a common cold. But you can stop this. Log on to earthshare.org and find out how. A public service message brought to you by Earthshare and the Ad Council. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel, where the world comes to listen and talk. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. Today, talking about the life and work of David Herbert Donald, the Pulitzer Prize winning biographer who passed away at the age of 88 in May 2009, this past Sunday, and I'm uh, taking the opportunity to share uh, some recollections of my uh, experience as a student of Dr. Donald's and uh, ways that he has influenced uh, uh, me and my work, but more importantly, the uh, study of Abraham Lincoln in the Civil War era uh, for all readers. In the last segment, we uh, I was going over the the 
the beginning of uh, Lincoln's, I keep saying Lincoln and Donald interchangeably, Donald's work on Lincoln in the 1990s, uh, culminating in his biography published in 1995. Up to that point, Donald had won the Pulitzer Prize for Biography for his work on Charles Sumner and the coming of the Civil War, and then again uh, for his biography of Thomas Wolfe, Look Homeward. And there was an expectation among many of us that his biography of Abraham Lincoln would uh, would generate a third such prize. But uh, the giving of prizes is never a uh, an exact science, and... Uh, and yet it seemed uh, you've got this great scholar, uh, David Herbert Donald. You've got uh, an incredibly popular subject in Abraham Lincoln. Uh, but if one goes back in the record, you see that the Pulitzer Prize for Biography that year was won by Jack Miles for his book, God, A Biography. Well, if anyone is going to trump Lincoln, there you have it. The Almighty uh, wins out, and Lincoln, uh, the book Lincoln did not get uh, the prize, but it was widely recognized and still is as, uh, for many people, the greatest single-volume biography written ever about Abraham Lincoln. There are those who will disagree. There are partisans of Benjamin Thomas's excellent work from the early 1950s, a uh, very readable and accessible piece, uh, now somewhat bypassed by research that has happened, that has taken place since then, but uh, but still a great book and highly recommended. Uh, some people are partial to uh, With Malice Toward None by Stephen Oates. Uh, certainly a good book, perhaps more uh, reflective of its time of the 1970s. There have been recent books uh, like, uh, well, let's see, uh, Carradine's book, which is uh, Neely's book, Paladin's book. All of these focus more on the Lincoln presidency than on the entire uh, Lincoln lifetime. One can go back to Lord Charnwood's book in the 19-teens, uh, uh, Ronald C. White's recent book uh, comes to mind. But Donald's one volume uh, remains, the, uh, for me, the one book I would recommend, uh, even ahead of Did Lincoln Own Slaves, if one is only going to read one book about Abraham Lincoln. Uh, it was very popular. It drew a generally favorable reaction, but there were some who questioned what they perceived as Donald's interpretation of Lincoln uh, as being passive. Uh, the word passive appears in most reviews of the book. Uh, the argument is made uh, that, that Lincoln did not... Uh, direct things as much as he re reacted to them. Donald quotes uh, as at the front of the book, uh, before, just after the title page, uh, from Lincoln's letter to Albert G. Hodges in 1864, uh, this line, I claim not to have controlled events, but confess plainly that events have controlled me. And with that, uh, 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 that, that sort of the cornerstone of Donald's interpretation of Lincoln, not as directing things, but as uh, responding to them. I think the word passive, however, was not well chosen, uh, even to the extent Donald himself used it, uh, 
as it implies somebody who simply sits back and waits for things to happen. Lincoln may not have directed events, may not have claimed to or actually controlled events, but he did not passively wait for them. And Donald's biography does not show him passively waiting for events. He rather responded to events. He dealt with the cards that were uh, were dealt to him. He, he, he played the cards that were dealt to him. Uh, but he played them actively. He did not simply respond passively to things happening, uh, comment, oh, that's too bad, they fired on Fort Sumter. Uh, rather, he, he was highly active, highly uh, engaged, uh, and simply responded uh, and reacted as he had to to events that were beyond his control or beyond anyone's control. He was fatalistic, Lincoln was. He accepted that, uh, uh, as Shakespeare put it, there's a destiny that shapes our ends, rough hew them as we will. Uh, it was that he could not control how things would come out, uh, that some, some higher power had determined that. But that did not stop him from doing what he could to play his part and making them come out one way or another. So some people may have been put off by the, the thought that the book shows a passive Lincoln, but it really doesn't. And if, if you're among the few uh, who haven't read uh, this biography of Lincoln, I highly, highly recommend that uh, that be next on your list for an understanding of not just of Abraham Lincoln, but of the whole Civil War era. One time I was in Professor Donald's office and he had a set of the OR, the, the official records of the War of the Rebellion, uh, lining the shelves of his office. And I happened to ask him uh, uh, where he got them. As Today, uh, there are reprints available. It's not so hard to find them. And, of course, everyone can have access to the OR on a disk, and you can search for words, and, and having a hard copy is no longer so useful. Um, I have a hard copy set of the OR stacked in the back of a closet in my house, much to my wife's dismay. They occupy valuable storage space. Uh, but they used to belong to uh, Michael Palmer, the uh, former chair of the history department here at East Carolina, and his wife couldn't stand them in his house, so he got rid of them by giving them to me. Uh, and since I hadn't gotten tenure yet, I couldn't say no to this gift uh, from the department chair. So I took them and had them on the shelf for a while, but I, I found I never used them. I only used the OR on disk that, uh, that you can get quite cheaply, and uh, it's much more handy and searchable. And if you actually need a written copy, you can go to the library and look at them. I have a few volumes that I use in hard copy, but didn't need 128 volumes on the home shelves, and so they are stacked in a in a back closet. I don't feel I can sell or give them away. Uh, my, my 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 friend Dr. Palmer would look askance at that, uh, even now that I am no longer uh, uh, groveling for tenure. Uh, still, I would hate to give uh, give them up. Well. I, to return to the story, I asked Dr. Donald where his set came from in the, the pre-internet days. He said, oh yes, uh, they were Mr. Randall's. Uh, they were the set that had belonged to James Randall, the uh, the, the dean of Lincoln scholars, of the, uh, the author of Constitutional Problems under Lincoln, of a multi-volume Lincoln biography. Uh, he had been Donald's mentor at the University of Illinois, and I have to admit, at that moment, I felt a 
crushing, uh, both a thrill and a crushing weight of responsibility that as Donald, uh, as Randall had been Donald's mentor, now Donald was my mentor, uh, that made Randall my uh, intellectual grandfather, uh, that's a lot to live up to. Uh, and uh, I have not done it yet, but uh, there, there's hopefully time ahead to keep working in that direction. Uh, at a later date, uh, Dr. Donald gave to me his set of Miller's uh, set of the illustrated history of the Civil War, uh, the photographic history, I believe it's called. Uh, he had several sets that he had acquired over the years and, and didn't need them all, and he gave me one uh, complete set of Miller, which I again, cherish to this day and, and find useful. The, the photographs are wonderful. and uh, it, it, again, ties together in a sense the, the, the sense of history as a collaborative project across the generations as well as across uh, uh, lines of distance. Many of the books, as I look around this office, actually at one time... Uh, had passed through Donald's hands, he would often uh, invite his graduate students over to his house in Lincoln, Massachusetts for uh, refreshments and discussion of uh, historical or contemporary events. And then he would say, now come into the library. He had built a library onto his home larger than many small-town public libraries. And there would be a table laden with books, and he would say, help yourselves, take whatever you want. Uh, he had gotten them as review copies, as contest entry copies, unsolicited from publishers. Uh, they were books he knew he would uh, never read and subjects he might not be interested in. But he knew that graduate students then, as now, never have any money, and uh, and yet they have time to read books that uh, often other people don't or a desire to. And it was Christmas in July when this happened, uh, and we, we helped ourselves... Uh, not wanting to seem greedy, but he insisted, take take them, I have no use for them. And uh, to this day, I can look around and see books in the library here that I uh, obtained through his generosity. They say that most graduate students at some point uh, uh, through their dissertations uh, write uh, what is essentially a, an homage to their uh, their dissertation advisor, in my case, I was able to go one better by getting uh, a job at the Lincoln Museum in Fort Wayne, Indiana, the late lamented Lincoln Museum, uh, no longer open. That also came about through Dr. Donald. Uh, the museum people called him as the most famous Lincoln scholar they, they knew and said, who do you know who would be good to help as a, serve as a historian at this museum? And he gave them my name. And uh, there were some issues uh, not worth going into, but for one reason or another, they called him back and, and asked if he had any additional names, and his answer was no, no, Jerry's your man, and uh, it worked out. I ended up getting that position, and one of the, and the, the primary responsibility at the time was to build the, uh, the, the last home of the Lincoln Museum that uh, took two years from 1993 to 95 to to construct a new permanent exhibit to in a different building to move the collection over there to open it to the public and by being involved from the ground floor up on this exhibit construction I had the opportunity to build an actual shrine 
to my graduate advisor. Uh, one of the exhibits uh, involved the Lincoln-Douglas debates and had a big uh, video screen on the wall. And in addition to quotes from Lincoln and Douglas, there would be the inevitable talking head commentary. And there would be David Donald, larger than life many times, up on the wall talking about Lincoln uh, and Douglas. In another exhibit, we copied the format of At the Movies, the old show with Siskel and Ebert. Uh, only we placed David Donald in uh, Roger Ebert's chair and had Siskel and Donald at the movies. Filmed it in Siskel's studio. The two of them interacted wonderfully, uh, produced a brilliant film, short film on Lincoln movies. Alas, both of them are gone now. And uh, the museum and the film are gone as well. Well, I say this every week, the time goes too quickly. Uh, the time has gone too quickly uh, with David Herbert Donald today and in his lifetime. Uh, but I hope... Uh, listeners will join me in reading or rereading Lincoln, the biography by David Herbert Donald, uh, as a way of remembering this great contributor to America's history. Thank you all for listening. Civil War Talk Radio. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.